This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. I'm Danielle Town, and I'm so excited today to be here with Jake Taylor. Jake is the CEO of Farnham Street Investments. He also hosts two really popular shows about investing, which I highly recommend you guys go and listen to. One is Value After Hours, and the other one is the author interview series, Five Good Questions, which I was very fortunate to be a guest on, which was so much fun. He also created the world's first hike cast, which you can find on his YouTube channel. And his first book, The Rebel Allocator, as you guys know, who heard him here on Invested, um, when was that? Like a year ago or nine months ago or something? Um, Yeah, probably around there. Yeah. So we go back and listen to those episodes if you want to hear all about the book, because it's so good. It's about how to evaluate companies and run companies well. And no less than Charlie Munger himself uh, has recommended it to everybody. So Jake, thank you so much for being here again. Uh, It's great to be back, Daniel. Thank you. So today, um, what I really want to talk about is actually a kind of twist on what you wrote about in The Rebel Allocator, which was all about the nuts and bolts of companies and investing. And as you know, I'm fascinated by that, yes, but also about how do we set up our lives, our environment, ourselves, so that we can be the best investors possible. And... I just, I think it's almost impossible. Well, this is something we can talk about if you agree, if you think it's possible to be a good investor without thinking about the practice of investing. And this is something that actually you've thought a ton about. So considering that most investors focus on pure research and specifically on results, and many investors don't even talk at all about their process or their practice ever. Why do you find it important to even spend time on the process? Because it does take time. What made you decide that that was worth your time? Yeah. I mean, you you can't eat process, right? Like process <laughs> doesn't pay the, the grocery bills. Exactly. Results do, right? Mm-hmm. But you only have control over your process. You don't have control over the results for the most part. And hmm. Uh, that's actually you know, a really big point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I do a fair amount of coaching you know, for my kids sports and in baseball, we talk, there's, we tell the kids when they go up to bat, you know, there's only two things that you have to worry about. Number one is you have to look for the pitch that you want to hit, right? So pitch selection. Hmm. And then number two is take your good swing. So don't get cheated and do like a half swing, like take your full good swing and look for the pitch that you want to hit. And I think the investment implications are very similar. We're looking for that pitch that we want to hit, the investment that you know fits the criteria that we're looking for. And then taking our good swing is the equivalent of working our good process, right? Hmm. We don't get to control what pitch the pitcher throws to us. We don't even get to control where the ball goes and you know if someone's going to catch it or not. But we, we have two things we can work on. And so if we focus on those and optimize for those, we give ourselves the best chance of having a successful outcome. And I think the same thing is, is true in the investment world. What's the I equivalent? Would, uh, oh, go ahead. 
Well, go ahead. Ask. You probably have a good question to ask. Well, I'm just curious. What do you consider the equivalent of the pitch and the swing in the investment world? Well, the pitch is, is the, the market showing you the price on a daily basis. And do you find it attractive or not? Hmm. You know, it comes by and it's, uh, you know, General Electric at $10. Do you think that's attractive or not? Or do you let it go? Um, so the pitch is, is what the market is serving you up. And then the swing, like I said, is, is your process of how well do you work through to understand the business? Um, how, you know, how much of a position size do you take in it? All of those things that will lead to the outcome that you're hopefully looking for. <clears throat> so I was going to say, uh, to give you, here's, there's an interesting thought experiment in kind of a Munger inversion way. Okay. I want you to imagine what would you, if you had to select a stock and your goal was to have the absolute worst outcome that you could have in one year's time. Okay. What, you know, and what would be the greatest chance of a, of a loss? Like, so probability and also the greatest magnitude of loss. Like, you know, you want it to be a zero. That's your that's your goal in this exercise. What would you pick? If I wanted to have the biggest loss possible. In one year's time, yes. So I'd pick something that I think is going to go bankrupt. Okay. So like Hertz, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but at one point that was up like 600% yeah. on you in, in two days. Uh, maybe you would pick like uh, some a flimsy, like maybe fraudulent electric vehicle company. Well, wait, those have been up hundreds of percent in days on you. <laughs> the, the point of the exercise is that it's incredibly hard to even to go wrong in one year if you wanted to, which means that over one year's time, the result is almost meaningless. Hmm. The, there's so much luck involved, right? Hmm. So if you, if you can't fail on purpose, then you know that luck is a big factor of, of that game. Hmm, that's super interesting. So you're saying that over the course of a year, it's too short of a period to know whether or not the outcome within that year is based on luck or skill. It's just so basically it's it's just luck since you don't know. It's it's random for the most part. Um yes, exactly. Maybe even more than one year. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so depending on your investment question, style right? and process. That's got to be the next question. If a year isn't long enough, how long is long enough? Because at some point we have to decide if we're good investors or if it's just the market. I think a lot of that is your own kind of personal preference and taste and style. Um, but I think in general, the supposedly the market is looking out 18 months. That's the kind of conventional wisdom. Hmm. I think you then have an advantage if you can look past that maybe two to three years and more optimized for that timeline. Um, and because there's just less competition, there's less people thinking two to three years out. Uh, and it, I think that it's actually even shorter than that 18 months, if we're being honest. Um, the, the I mean, the average holding looking. period yeah, yeah, is shorter than that. Um, so uh, there's a lot of like, well, what, what's it going to do next quarter, right? Because if I'm a professional and I'm being judged on a quarterly basis and my investors are going to leave if I don't have a good quarter, I can't get to year three 
because I, I already lost the money in or I, the money left in, you know, two years ago because totally. I had one bad quarter. Which, by the way, separate from process, it's been really surprising to me how the market through the COVID lockdowns has seemed to suddenly become longer term oriented. Like I had always, I agreed completely. I'd always thought it's maybe three to six months because that's what it seemed like people were responding to. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can wait for two years for this rebound. It's fine. Like I'm like, what? How, what was your reaction to what's been going on with uh, companies seeming to respond or the market seeming to respond to what's going to happen but hasn't happened yet? Yeah, I think especially for some of the companies, it's even further out. Um, so they'll say, mm-hmm. well, based on uh, 2031 <laughs> earnings per share that we're we're modeling out, uh, this is really cheap, right? right? But wait, the company has no revenue now. Like, how are you, how are you getting 10 years from now, you know how much revenue and you know what their margins are going to be 10 years from now. All of those things, I mean, there's a lot of that happening at the moment. And I, I think it's probably best to, to stay clear of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think it's a little... I, I've heard Phil Tetlock, who is a, a very famous uh, researcher when, when it comes to forecasting. Hmm. He said that any forecast that's longer than five years from now, you could pretty much just completely write it off and, and assume that it has no informational value because... There's the world is too random, hmm. even on a from five years from now. So you can almost just laugh off anything that someone tells you is going to happen more than five years from now. It's an interesting perspective, I suppose. It base it's based on um, just what your investment horizon is, because I know I try to look like ten years out, which is so hard to predict, as you just said. But if I'm not confident in a company for ten years, how can I be confident in a company for five years? I mean, five years to, may not be a long enough period to really know if. I'm a good investor or if it's just good or bad luck. Yeah, I think there's a couple things you can do there with uh, that kind of longer time horizon. One is if you focus on businesses that are least likely to change. Um, so, yep. you know, it's it's most likely that something like Coke or Gillette 10 years from now is still going to be in business. Yeah. Um, I don't know if maybe their business will be as strong. I mean, it seemed like those were inevitable juggernauts, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But, you know, maybe tastes change and people want less sugar. Maybe uh, you get Dollar Shave Club or Harry's, you know, these like direct to consumer brands mm-hmm. that can come in and nip at your heels if you're Gillette. The world's always looking for ways to dislodge the juggernaut. And so, you know, there's, I'm not sure there are any like sure 10 year bets like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to make those kind of approximations, uh, just because I know like ca- capitalism wants to undermine those moats, right? Like that's what they're all working on. True. Um, True. so it, <laughs> so we're I find looking it for funny. companies that can do it themselves, can undermine themselves and disrupt themselves in many ways and, and, and innovate out of it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's what, um, you know, Andy Grove from Intel would have said, like the CEO of founder of Intel, um, you know, you have to be paranoid and disrupt yourself before mm-hmm. the, the competition can. Uh, and that came from Clayton Christensen originally, um, mm-hmm. Innervate's dilemma. But <clears throat> yeah, I don't think the 10-year time horizon uh, is, 
is that easy to play. Now, I will caveat that with if you can find a culture and a, a, uh, an ethos of a business where it seems like they will be able to adapt to whatever the conditions change, however they are, and you want to make that bet, I think then you can start to think about 10-year time horizons a little easier because you know, like, well, listen, they're smart people, ethical, intelligent, uh, you know, all the things that Buffett would say he's looking for in a yeah. in hiring someone. Yeah. Those they're gonna figure out how to solve the problem. Like mm-hmm. they're waking up every day trying to figure out how to solve the problem and make your investment worth more. And so I think there is something to be said for that. Like I I know that uh, it's very popular to say that you know, don't bet on horses and not on jockeys, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want a really strong horse. And I think that is largely true. Like it, it is easier if you're in a good business to look like a good business person. <laughs> However, I think maybe with technology, that, that statement is not as true as it was probably 30 years ago because things are changing so fast. I think you need to have the good management that's going to adapt. And it's not the, the nature of the business and the technology of the business and how it solves problems that's going to be the the differentiator because it's it can get disrupted overnight by something that's coming out of, of a garage, right? Yes. Um, so I, I find it funny that the the longest term horizons are are being applied to the tech companies right now, which has mm. historically been where most of the change has happened, mm. right? Like everyone says that you know. Facebook, Amazon, Google, those that they're they're inevitables and that they they get these like, you know, kind of 10-year horizon bets on them, right? Like these guys are going to be they they're going to win over the next 10 years. But yet that's tech is where a lot of the a lot of the disruption has always historically come from. So if anything, <clears throat> excuse me, that should fetch a lower multiple because of the uncertainty of more tech, not a higher multiple. But I'm like completely 180 degrees out with the the thinking on that at the moment. Uh, So what do I know? I mean, I think it could go. The market does not, as you said, does not necessarily reflect uh, the real what could happen in five to 10 years. And I couldn't agree with you more that what matters in a long term investment is the culture is finding people who are going to roll with the punches and roll with the innovations um, and roll with the new companies showing up and trying to put them out of business um, and maybe buy those companies because that's generally what they do. So um, yeah. I think it's, it's just a, it's a different way of thinking about investments and I'm hundred percent on board. So how does your process uh, help you to do better at that? at choosing the jockey or choosing the horse. How did you start? Like, why? Why did you start thinking about this? And how did you start thinking about it? Yeah. So I've always been uh, interested in health and kind of a bit of a self-experimenter, a tinkerer with my own health and trying, like, there's nothing too weird that I I wouldn't try out for a while to see, like, (laughs) oh, do I feel better or worse from that? Very Um, tempered of you. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't publicize what I'm doing. It's just for my own amusement, but, uh, but yeah, so that sort of like self-experimentation within it has sort of a growth mindset where you, you feel like I can do better than I did before. And if I just try out some things and I'm always experimenting and I record what I'm doing so that I, I can see the the change over time, 
um, you know, you, you're you're always hoping to get a little bit better. And so mm-hmm. I view the investment process the exact same way as I have the tinkering with health. I'm I'm looking for every little experiment that I can try to see, does this feel like it's giving me a better chance of getting the results that I'm looking for uh, by focusing on this process and looking for ways to improve it? So uh, one sort of naturally carried over into the other. You just like improving things. I, yeah, I do like improving things. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were thinking about improving your process, what what kind of framework did you put on it? I think of mine as a practice. Um, I know a number of investors I've talked to have directly told me that they don't relate to that at all. How do you, <laughs> which is fine. We've all got our own things. For me, it really works to think about it as a practice. How do you think about it? What kind of framework do you use to think about uh, the process that you put together? I, I'm, I'm more in your camp that I, you know, I think of it as, as a process and, and even to borrow some, like, um, I believe it's Buddhism has this, but it's like chop wood and carry water. Hmm. Um, you know, like just really focusing on that task um, and, and doing a really good job with each task and not uh, not taking shortcuts because it's really easy in the investment process to even knowing what you're supposed to do, skim over that part and sort of jump ahead. Same thing with health. Like we most, you know, we kind of know what the right things to do are already. It's like kind of eat real food, move your body, get enough sleep, get some sunshine and some nature, right? Like none of these things are that, there's no like hidden secret here. And I don't think there's any hidden secret in the investment process either. It's just a matter of committing to do it and, and putting in the effort to, to continuously do it and getting a little bit better. So, I, you know, I, I kind of divide the, the, the process up into four quadrants, which, uh, you know, I showed in that that article um, that you published for me. Um, yeah, Jake, and so you have just like, for everybody, Jake wrote a fantastic article that I put on my um, invested practice newsletter, the premium newsletter. So if you guys want to check that out, you can find it at newsletter.danielletown.com. So yes, thank you for writing that, Jake, because it was so good. And as I said to you, I've been reading it over and over, trying to pick every piece out of it that I can, because it may be obvious to you, and I'm glad that it is, but it is not obvious to me. And I'm trying to learn every little way that I can also get better. So you see it yeah. as hygiene. So, Why do yeah, you see so, it well, as hygiene? I, well, I, I'll let me wrap up the idea on the uh, like quadrants oh, just yeah. real quick. So, you know, I look at it as there's things that are internal to me, like inside my body. And then there are things that are external to that. And so those are like two poles of the the axes. And then on the other side, I have things that are more mental and then things that are more physical. So, you know, internal and physical would be health. Like that's what's happening inside of my body. External and, and physical is my environment, right? Like controlling for, you know, the right environment to, to create a good process. Mental and external is like, you know, how much signal versus noise am I having to process? Like what kind of information am I, am I using? And then the last one, like the internal and the mental is, you know, working on sharpening the saw and having, you know, building my mental models and, and really like, you know, the right headspace. Um, that's, so that's, that's what I found as a helpful way to kind of divide up the, and think about the different parameters of optimizing this. How do you distinguish between internal 
and mental and physical? Um, <clears throat> well, to me, internal. Would... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I just, just naturally, I would put internal as mental and physical. So why, why separate those into sort of two different categories? Um, well, internal for me and mental, it, it was like the, you know, the right checklists, the, uh, <clears throat> when do I work on things? That's another hmm. big part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then external and mental is, you know, what is the rest of the world bombarding me with? Like, am I spending a bunch of time on Twitter and filling my head with everyone else's thoughts? Or am I finding my own quiet solitude place where those, for those everyone else's thoughts can kind of quiet down and I can hear my own thoughts finally. Hmm. Um, so that's how I divide it up. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it really is the two different ways to think about the information that's either going out or in. So, okay. So let's talk about the hygiene. What, uh, <laughs> what led to thinking about it in a way as hygiene? Yeah. I use hygiene because it's kind of a term that we're all familiar with. And, you know, it's like it's habits and routines and mindsets that hopefully pr produce some outcome that you're looking for. So think about like dental hygiene. Like we all sort of know that one. You, you know, you're supposed to brush your teeth, floss, maybe use a water pick, eat less sugar, uh, go to like wear a mouth guard if you're doing physical contact sports. Like we know all of these things. And what you're trying to do is create an environment where teeth can be healthy, right? Like you can't just say, I want healthy teeth. You have to do all of these things that will then produce the, the environment that would encourage healthy teeth. Hmm. It's the same thing with the investment process. Like what are all the mindsets and habits? Like where, you know, what's, what's the equivalent of flossing and brushing my teeth um, that will eventually, hopefully lead to the results that I'm looking for? Um, to, you know, just going back to our, our sports kind of analogy of, we don't get to control much of this. The only things we can control are, are our process. So we have to really focus our efforts there. You divide the, so we talked about the, the quadrant, um, external and internal, physical and mental, and you divide uh, these areas into four, obviously, and you say internal plus physical equals health. Talk a little, can you talk a little bit more about that? I want to go through the different quadrants. So health is the first one. How do you focus on your health in a way that specifically supports investing hygiene? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I am very cognizant of when I make decisions, especially big decisions, like, do I want to buy or sell this company? How am I physically feeling? Because our, our physical, like the chemicals that are going on in our brains are these like lenses that, that we interpret the world through. Hmm. And 
you know, depending on if something is out of balance for whatever reason, you had a bad night's sleep, um, you know, a million different reasons that things can be a little off. It can dramatically affect how you feel about something and how you process information. So Absolutely. being aware of that is, is uh, I think, hugely important and, and dramatically underappreciated. Um, so I, I will not make a decision, an investment decision, unless I feel like I'm in a peak state mentally. Hmm. Right. If if there's any doubt about you know my headspace, it can wait till tomorrow, or I can go for a walk, or take a nap, or something that's going to get me to where I need to be mentally to think that I have a good shot at this. Do you kind of have an arsenal of methods that can get you out of the suboptimal headspace and into the peak headspace? You just mentioned a couple. Yeah, I mean, there's some, but I think it's actually a little bit more of a like long-term practice Mm -hmm. and just like kind of living in there as opposed to like, okay, here's what I, you know, I'm going to ramp up into that and then ramp back down. I try to live in that peak state as much as I can instead. Um, But I just want to be aware and make sure that I'm definitely, I know when I'm not there and that's when it's time to, you know, take the keys away and, you know, you're not making any decisions today. It requires that sense of knowing what it feels like to be uh, in a in a state where you feel confident to make the decisions and also being able to be self-conscious enough or mindful enough to be aware of when you're not, which is really hard because I, we often fool ourselves, you know, like they found even in sleep studies that people are not aware, people who are consistently sleep deprived are not aware of how sleep deprived they are and how impaired they are in their judgments because we all think we're just we're just okay, we're doing the best we can, and often can't remember what it felt like to feel better. And I've had a recent experience of that with my illness. So how have you been able to calibrate your memory of what it felt like to uh, to be in the peak state, as you say, um, so that you know when you're not there? Yeah, I mean it is it is subjective in that like you know, I wouldn't I probably couldn't tell a 9 out of 10 versus a 9.5 out of 10, right? Um but I think you can if you ask yourself, you can kind of tell when you're not there. Hmm. And I think that's maybe more important is is it's just a it's more of a don't go than it is a a time to go. And I think I think what you just said is the key asking yourself Am I there? Most of us right. don't ever do that. Well, and that's actually like journaling is a is really really helpful hmm. on this front. Hmm. Uh, you know, Kahneman, Daniel Kahneman, the famous like uh, psychology researcher, advises anyone to use a journal, especially about decision making, and even to record how they feel physically and mentally, um, and and correlating then. You know, are you do you make good decisions in different kind of mental states. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a kind of a pain to do that. Sure. But that's sort of like this health thing. Like, yeah, it's a, it's pain to go to the gym too, but you know, it's healthy for you. So you kind of just have to like bear down and, and do the things that you know you need to be doing. I think it's such an important point to track, to journal, to have data so that you can really see where the changes are. I mean, so many of, of us have found, like, if you get a fitness tracker, like a Fitbit or something, suddenly you start to realize how little you walk in a day, like something as simple as that. And 
the tracker tells you and you start to notice it. And then you can start to notice how you feel differently if you do a little bit more. And it's, I mean, it's much more subjective um, to just journal your own mental abilities. But if that's the best we've got, then that's, um, it's something that most of us don't even do. What kind of journaling do you, yeah, go ahead. We will misremember what we thought was at that time period if we mm-hmm. try to go back and reconstruct our thoughts. And especially, I mean, even just like, it should be very obvious, but like, I don't know if you remember in March of this year and, you know, the market is tanking and, you know, what were you thinking at that point? Like, how did you, how did, you know, how are you assessing sort of like what the going forward look like versus, you know, in the summer, what, you know, we're making all time highs again. And like, what were you thinking then? And those two periods are, it's so, they're so close together in time relative to what that normally looks like. And even then we're still like way off on assessing our own thoughts at that time, unless we recorded them. Right. Cause we, we will misremember and usually we will misremember in ways that are favorable to ourselves. And it's a way of protecting our ego and our identity. True. Um, your brain wants to think that you're a hero, right? Like that's a good narrative for you. Uh, so you will misremember unless it's been written down somewhere. And it's funny because you, you can read things that you wrote in your journal from a long time ago and be like, God, who is this? Who wrote this? Right, like that wasn't Absolutely. me. Well, it's it's in your handwriting. I'm pretty sure it is you. Right, so uh, it's it's kind of a weird experience. Like we, I think we underappreciate how faulty our memories actually are. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. Do you follow that practice every day, every week? What's your what's your uh, practice as far as regularity? Uh, well, in the investment context, you know, I I keep journals about specific ideas. And so, you know, though they're continuously running as I learn new things about it, as I, you know, as I get new data points, I try to fit that in with, does that fit with my, my thesis about this company? Or is this a red flag that maybe my thesis is not correct and I need to reevaluate? Um, So it's always a, it's, you know, what would you would call like Bayesian updating. Like as you get new data, you process that and you hopefully update your probabilities of, of su- what you think success would look like. Hmm. So do you more focus then on, on your note taking being specific to investment ideas rather than like, you know, today on Tuesday, I felt X, Y, and Z and was worried about X, Y, and Z? Yeah, I mean, there are, you could you can do more of sort of like macro journaling, like how do I feel, like what do I think the market's going to do, that kind of stuff. Uh, I I don't personally do that as much. I probably should actually, um, but part of the reason why I don't is that I'm trying to push myself towards staying as bottom up as I can. Hmm, tell and it's me more really about that. easy. Well, like just evaluating the companies themselves and their prospects, as opposed to having like boy, the market sure is crazy right now. I have opinions about like why it should crash and I'm not going to buy anything, even if I find an individual idea that I think is very attractively priced at the moment. I think it's really easy for the macro stuff, at least for me personally. Uh, the macro stuff is kind of like catnip for me where it's mm-hmm. like, it's very interesting and it feels very important. And, but I think it's, it for me becomes suboptimal compared to like, well, listen, if you like this company, and you like the price of it, 
ignore all that other stuff and just buy the damn company and be an owner of it and stop trying to like predict where the market's going to go, right? Does it force you to get out of your head a little bit? Uh, no, all that stuff's still going on okay. all the time. And I'm probably still <laughs> reading too much macro BS as it is. It's hard for me not to do it. I don't know. I, I might be addicted to it. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> so part of the investment hygiene, move away from macro information. <laughs> I, I think you well, even say go on an information diet, right? I, yeah, I think that's a, that would be part of that is, you know, Jim Chanos has this this great analogy. He's a famous short seller. Um, and he's, he talks about layers of an information onion. And at the core layer where the most signal is and the least amount of noise are the SEC filings. These are the actual, like, this is what the company has to tell you, right? Like they're, they're by law required to tell you these things, good mm-hmm. or bad. I mean, granted, they can they can polish some things here and there, but for liability reasons, like they have to tell you all of the risks. They have to give you the real numbers unless you're, it's a total fraud, right? But that's relatively rare. Um, outside of that layer of the SEC filings, you have uh, a, a their, the company uh, IR stuff, investment relations stuff. So their slide decks, their conference calls, things like that. And that's kind of more what they want to tell you and less what they yeah. have to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we move out of that layer to, you know, call it like sell side research. And that's, you know, often a little bit like someone's kind of selling you something there as well. Uh, like, hey, this is a, here's why I like this. Uh, and then on the last and the outer onion, you have, you know, Twitter or social media of, uh, or even just like rumor mill, like, oh man, check this one out. This is great. Right. And that's like where the most noise is. So just focusing on where, your where are you spending your time? Are you spending more time in the SEC filings or on Twitter? And I, I would, you know, I would say that you're probably eating junk food if you're out <laughs> in in Twitter more often than eating kind of your your meat and potato or your your vegetables in on the SEC filings. And just being <laughs> cognizant of that. Like we're all gonna eat dessert. And I'm not saying like I don't I eat dessert too much as it is, uh, both in a health context and Twitter context. But I try to be aware of it and at least like keep some balance in the diet. In the last few episodes here, I made everybody crazy by going straight to the SEC Edgar website to get info that uh, you can get other places, but I am a crazy person and need to get it from the source or else I don't trust it fully. And, um, and we went through a whole process of how to do that. My dad was miserable, utterly miserable. He hates it. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, like I, I sometimes you'll find errors in like the what you get delivered from a, a data service relative to what the SEC filing says. You will yeah. not that often, not but that it's, often. It's, but it's enough where you're like, ugh. It's Boy, enough if I was where make a... I want to know. I want to have a baseline level of knowledge to know if that seems a little off or not. Right. So, Jake, I think we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around and we come back next week to talk about the rest of the co- the quadrants? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So next week, guys, the second half of um, my chat with Jake Taylor. And with that, thanks, everybody. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. 
Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.